1: These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Chad on Score North and scorenorth.com.
0: He's had some ups and downs, certainly with the injuries. He'd be the first to tell you that. But when he's on the field, we're, we're so much more dynamic. What he can do offensively, defensively uh, is a big part of it. He, he made some adjustments last year to put himself in a better position defensively. was really consistent through the course of the year.
1: That was Derek Falvey talking about uh, Jake Cave. No, not really. He wasn't talking about Jake, but I saw Jake Cave. I think he's playing for the Saints again. Maybe yeah. last night I saw them post a clip. Oh so. boy, I'm so excited for that! <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait
2: till I can't wait till he's back. Uh,
1: so uh, this is Reckless Speculation Thursday on a Friday. Here, our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson from the Five Eyewitness News Sports Department, the Scoop Podcast, inside information about all your favorite Minnesota sports teams. Speculation and uh, Dukes, welcome to the show on this Friday. We would love so you've been reporting on for basically for like three years on the twins, sort of back and forth with Buxton and Barrios on contract extensions. We'd love to Safe to give you guys the audience the Ken Rosenthal update, and then uh, get your thoughts, Doogie. You ready for this? absolutely?
3: Yeah, I am okay. ready. Good morning, gentlemen. I appreciate your flexibility. How about this for name dropping? I wasn't able to join you yesterday. I was hanging out with Adam Thielen, Alexander Madison, Chad Beebe, some other NFL players, and an East Metro High School, they were getting in a workout. So it was a good opportunity to see them in action, catch up with them on camera. It's been a long time since I've talked to NFL players actually on camera compared to what we're doing right now or a Zoom conversation. So thank you for having me on this Friday compared to a Thursday. Yeah, I mean, they've tried for a long time, Phil. This is far from the first offer they have made Byron Buxton's way. They have talked parameters of a deal with Jose Barrios' camp going back many years. I am awaiting a text back, but I feel pretty confident that the Twins have also engaged the Barrios camp in recent weeks. Now, I can tell you as recently as mid-June they had not, but from about the second week of June until now, I have full confidence, you know, just from from, you know, some senses via uh, some text messages that the Twins have engaged uh, the Barrios camp as well in some extension talks. But on Buxton, the Ken Rosenthal report, $70 million. I'm curious yeah. to find out. I'm still working on the escalators. On the surface, $70 million is not a very good offer. So Seven yeah. years, $70 million. He is not taking that. I feel very confident in saying that as well, Phil. Yeah. Byron Buxton is not accepting the offer that is out there via Ken Rosenthal.
1: And just for people who haven't read it, so uh, th- th- this is what Rosenthal wrote. The Twins are tempting... Injured center fielder Byron Buxton taking their best shot at signing him to a long-term extension, according to Major League sources. My sources. Uh, The team's latest offer to Buxton is in excess of $70 million that the Yankees awarded Aaron Hicks over a seven-year deal a couple of years ago. Buxton, who's 27, likely will be dealt if he rejects the proposal, if not by the July 30th trade deadline um, he's injured. They could still trade him. Uh, then he would be traded this off season. The Twins' offer to Buxton includes escalators and incentives that would increase the potential value. Sources say. So I guess the question for you guys is, Judd, go ahead and answer this first, and then we'll swing it back to Doogie. Would you give Byron Buxton a hundred million dollars over, you know, a handful of years? Call it six years or whatever. Just to just just to be done with this. Like if, if Buxton's camp said, "We're not taking seventy. We'd take a hundred and in some incentives." incentives that drive it up, you know, if he plays more or whatever, would you give $100 million to Byron Buxton to essentially uh, secure him through his prime?
2: I would, but I completely understand the trepidation here on the part of the Twins, and I tweeted about this. I think in the time, uh, gents, that we have covered sports in this town, I think this might be the most interesting contract negotiation that we have seen or will see, and here's why. Byron Buxton, if you let him walk, like – We talk about the Ortiz thing, right, all the time. David Ortiz left, and you just uh, clearly cut him. But he left, and there's almost like this fear every time, right? Miguel Snow, if he leaves, he could be Ortiz. And I keep saying, no, he's not. It's no big deal. Like, if he goes, he goes. Buxton, to me, is one of the most interesting contract negotiations, Dukes, of all time because of this one. This has nothing to do with perceived effort or something you can do with him to improve him. This has to do with what I now gauge to be pure luck and bad luck. Um, he got hit by a pitch. There's not much you can do about that. It broke his hand. He hurt his hip. He runs really fast. What are you going to do? Say, don't run fast. Like I was all in to the don't crash into walls gang for, quite a while there. And I still think that's probably right, but look at how he gets hurt. And there's nothing he can do really, in my opinion, to control a lot of why he's gotten hurt. And so I would give him the money, but Doogie, I understand why there would be trepidation. And let me say one last thing too, as a word of caution, not only to the twins again, but to every team in this town and basically across the board, this is why when, this is why when you play dangerous service time, manipulation games, It can bite you in the ass because if they hadn't played that game and Dukes, you talked about this quite a bit and were a thousand percent right at the time. I'm not saying he does him a favor here, but I think he got a fighting chance, right? A fighting chance. I think he's going to tell them to jump out of a bleeping airplane now. And I don't blame him. So this is why this whole thing of, well, of course you gain the year. That's smart. Okay, let's look at this one. Byron Buxton, I think, is going to explore the market and or be traded in part because he's not going to do this team any damn favors, and I don't blame him.
3: I don't blame him one bit. Now, the comeback there is the Twins playing the manipulation game did grant them this extra year, that if they had called him up a few Septembers ago, he would have gotten that service time. He'd actually be a free agent after this year, not after next year. But you're right. I mean, that's part of the dynamic here, I would pay him one hundred million dollars. In fact, I would pay him, call me nuts. I would pay him one hundred million dollars over five years. And I think he's a twenty million dollar a year player.
0: Speculation.
3: I would. Yep. I just think <clears throat> you look at the injury history, it's a lot of flukiness. And I get it. It's a lot of bad luck. I mean, since he became a professional in what two thousand and twelve second overall pick, Carlos Correa goes one to Houston. The Twins then grabbed Buxton, number two overall 2012 draft. Since he became a professional, 2012, it's double-digit injuries. I don't know the exact number, if it's 11 or 12, but he's missed time with that many different injuries. Since the start of the 2018 season, Byron Buxton has missed 62% of the Twins' games. So I get the trepidation. I just think with the power that we've seen in recent years, that he's got every tool imaginable. That is one of those guys, as he's about to turn, what, 28? He'll be 29 when he hits the open market after next year, that I just think I can bank on him performing, even if he ends up missing some time, that I can bank on him performing at a very high level, ages 29, 30, 31, 32. I get it, maybe 33 and 34 become interesting, but he's still so darn young I don't want to see that guy kicking serious tail for another organization. So this is one of those situations where I would bite the bullet. If I'm the Twins, if I'm Jim Polat, I pay up. The Twins will have a new TV contract here, a local TV contract, in what, a couple years, Phil? Is it up after this year or next year? I don't know for sure.
1: I think think it's it's like 23, I think, but yeah.
3: Yeah, in the relatively near future. So that should be extra revenue coming in. I would do it, and I get it coming off the pandemic, all the lost opportunities on on revenue streams from 2020. I get all of that, but this is one of those guys I would invest heavily in. I really would.
1: A a few more points on this. We'll we'll get to Wild. We'll get to to Wolves too, but um, the Twins are like 150 or something over the last 150 games that Buxton has played in, and I think they're below 500 in the games that he doesn't. I mean, he's just like his influence on winning – is incredible. I'd rather have him for the next five or six years, I'd rather have him for 90 to 100 games a year, if that's what it comes down to, than zero games a year. And we sit here all the time for 15 years. We've sat here and said, with nervousness and worry, blank is going to be the next David Ortiz if you let him go, right? Uh, Kenny Vargas is going to be the next David Ortiz. You're going to regret this. Oswaldo Arcia, like all these guys that we have feared. Aaron Hicks, that's going to be the next David Ortiz. Byron Buxton I'm not saying he's going to be like the modern day Babe Ruth that David Ortiz was but Byron Buxton is going to make you regret watching him play in a different uniform. So like I he's mean, going to world be world? there's going to be a David Ortiz effect there if he leaves.
3: Phil, we've already seen it. It was a few years ago he won the Platinum Gold Glove and did earn an MVP vote. And, yeah, it wasn't a lot, but he was at least on the MVP list. When you go to baseball reference from what year? Was it 2017, I guess it would have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe he's 10th or 11th or 12th. But he shows up on the MVP ballot at what? At that time, 23 years old. For him to do what he did at 23 years old, we started to see it then. Now the power has come along. That's why I would say I would bank on him moving forward.
2: Hey, Dukes, quickly, um, so – Jim Polad went on the uh, Twins Radio Network on Sunday and was asked about signing both Brios and Buxton, and he said, absolutely, that can be done. One, are you you buying that? And two, if you had to guess by July 30th, so this month, at the end of the month, do you think one of those two is ultimately gone? Because I'm with you. There's no way that they're engaging the Buxton camp and not the Brios camp, so they definitely want to know what the price of poker is. What's your guess there?
3: Well, I mean, what they're asking other teams on Barrios is a significant return. I mean, we're talking three elite prospects or maybe it's one guy that's already in the majors, maybe, you know, one year of arbitration or pre-arbitration plus like that organization's number 1 and number 3 or number 4 prospects. I mean, the ask on Barrios is enormous. I think both guys are here on July 31st. Now, the way this is trending, yeah, Buxton getting traded in the winter, sure. I mean, that, yeah, I guess at this point, I can see that. But I think both guys are here, you know, as of as of late July into August. Yeah, they can. They absolutely can. But, like, okay, George Springer at 31 years old, we've brought up this comp before, but it makes a lot of sense because he's had a little bit of an injury history. And maybe Toronto was an outlier because they had all this money to spend when other teams didn't, but he gets six years 150 at 31 years old. You know, then you look at Barrios – He's not taking less than what Houston gave McCullers Jr. Five years, 85, five years, 90. The Phillies gave Zach Wheeler five years, 118. I think you need to meet somewhere in the middle. And I think it's closer to the Wheeler money than it is to the McCullers Jr. money. You know, so if you're the Twins, are you willing to do five years, 108 million, 110 million? Or are you willing to do three years, you know, maybe it's higher, you know, per year, but the term is less, I mean, you know, there's there's maybe a happy medium there, but you're looking at, for Burrios, north of $20 million a year. And I think ultimately on Buxton, to retain him, you need to go north of at least 18 if not $20 million a year.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Doogie, if you could show us on camera here on the Score North YouTube channel how large Billy Guerin's grapefruits are after this week. Uh, <laughs> how, how large do you feel like they are?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't see... Well, heck, I can tell you the Ryan Suter cam certainly did not see... The buyout coming. I mean, him hanging up the phone when Bill, and it was Craig Leopold on the phone too. The owner was on speaker. You know, Ryan hanging up the phone tells us all we need to know. I mean, it was it was a complete shock. In fact, I checked with somebody that would know, you know, about this time last week, and I said, hey, any news? Because, you know, Suter and Parisi are incredibly tight. Hey, any traction on Parisi being bought out? And at the time, it was unlikely. Doesn't sound like there's any traction on that. Now, behind the scenes, I know, Judd, you had Bill Guerin on, on one of your podcasts earlier this week. Uh, I think on Thursday, no matter the day, but anyway. show, yeah. yeah. Very famous. Right said now. He's yeah. Been working Apple, on Spotify,
1: scorenorth.com, yeah.
3: Absolutely. Shameless plug <laughs> that he's been working on this for the better part of a month, really, discussions going back six, seven, eight months, but they did a very good job of not having those internal talks leak. So, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's complete shock, but both guys want to keep playing. I can tell you, Parisi is thrilled. You know, I mean, just heck, look at Zach doing a bunch of different interviews, you know, texting with a lot of different people. Although I need him to text me back. Hey, Zach, if you listen to this, text me back, but he's happy with this. I've been saying that for a while that Zach was ready to move on. You know, so Zach is, is thrilled. Ryan, 15 teams have already reached out. I mean, there's, there's going to be a hefty market for him. Jed, I know you talked about how, you know, there's, there's buzz about Ryan being uncoachable. My rebuttal to that is if he's so uncoachable, you know, if you've heard that, and maybe I've heard some of that buzz too, why would 15 teams right now be reaching out to Neil Sheehy, his agent? There is a healthy market for Ryan Souter.
2: I think the reason why, Dugues, is because if you – separate him and Zach and and you know their next contracts are going to be far far different than the 13 year contracts. I think the feeling is that it he won't be an issue. I think the problem became when those two were rightfully so perceived as the leaders of the locker room and that be, but if he's just going to go to let's say Colorado or Vegas, right? And he's going to be part of the team and he's not going to be a guy who is in the owner's ear and the GM's ear, I think it becomes a lot more manageable, and he's still a good player. Now, now the one thing that Garen told us on the podcast that I did find to be extremely interesting and sort of admitting why he did this, though, was saying that the plan was, Dukes, that suitors' minutes were going to come down drastically this coming season, and that I think what he was alluding to was we just went through that with Zach, and it didn't work out so well for us. Um, so they clear they clearly see a decline that perhaps the other 15 teams, or at least a handful of them, don't see coming from Suter in 2021-22.
3: That is fair. Now, Suter's minutes were cut. Judd, you know this better than I, but Suter's minutes were cut this past season. I mean, his power play time, just his overall ice time. Now, there were games yep. where the ice time was pretty significant, maybe out of necessity, but... But his playing time was starting to be cut down. And, yeah, do I think that, that you know, he was going to curl up in the fetal position and not say a word? No, that's not Ryan, right? So, yeah, I think the most fascinating thing about this is the relationship Suter and Leopold have. That Craig Leopold, when Ryan Suter suffered that lower leg uh, injury, you know, going back a couple of years, that lower body injury, the leg injury, that it was Leopold who drove Suter it was somewhere, was it near Green Bay? or was in, Green in Green Bay. Bay four yeah. and a half hours away. Specialist. Craig Leopold drove Suter to the doctor's appointment. That going back to their time together in Nashville, that Craig and, and their Wisconsin ties, Craig and Ryan are incredibly close. So for Leopold to approve this move, for Leopold to never tell Ryan that they talk semi-regularly, for Craig not to tip off Ryan – in any capacity like that to me is maybe the most fascinating thing of all of this
1: mm. uh, boys i saw this is just glorious in two weeks the nba free agency period opens up Reckless speculation. henry abbott at true hoop on twitter
3: i just saw that yeah this go ahead.
1: morning source blazer star damian lillard to request a trade in the days to come if this is a surprise You haven't been paying attention. I will say that Colin Cowherd went on either his podcast or his radio show a couple weeks ago and said Damian Lillard actually DM'd him in like June and just like was venting his frustration about the Blazers and everything and like asking like, what do people think of this? Like from the outside looking in, I kind of want out. So this has been like there are there are now people in the media that are being contacted by Damian Lillard, and I would assume that Henry Abbott is one of them. So I guess Doogie. Um, what are the Wolves going to have to give up to get Damian Lillard here in Minneapolis? Uh, and if that's not feasible, how does him being available affect all the other dominoes that the Wolves might be involved with?
3: Well, you have to wonder if Philadelphia says, okay, here is Ben Simmons, here is Maxi, here is Stiebel. Hey, we can throw in a future first or multiple future first. Like, What will it take for us to get Damian Lillard? I can promise you Daryl Morey is going to make an effort to bring Lillard to Philadelphia, to combine him with Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid. You know, so, I mean, that's my first inclination. I checked with somebody close to the situation this morning in preparation for this discussion, just checking on where things stand, the Wolves and Ben Simmons. This individual still believes it is an, uh, an incredible long shot, that the Wolves just, it's going to be so hard for the Wolves to trump other teams' offers. That D'Angelo Russell, not that the Wolves want to move Russell, but Russell doesn't do anything for Philadelphia. You know, some combination of Rubio, Beasley, even Jada McDaniels, a future first, it's not going to be enough. That Ben Simmons landing here, it's just, it's very, very unlikely. So you, then you start going down the list, okay? John Collins. I still think John Collins ends up back in Atlanta. That Atlanta brought this thing back through. Yeah, Hunter was hurt. Like Cam Reddish took a step forward late in the season that Atlanta can say, let's pay Collins. If we need to trade him later on, fine, but let's pay him right now as a restricted free agent. Let's keep him. Let's make a run. Nate McMillan's locked in as our coach. We can be a top two, top three team in the Eastern Conference next year. So I guess I would be surprised if John Collins is moved. All right, so then keep going down the list. Miles Turner, for what it's worth, I checked with somebody close to Miles yesterday he thinks Miles ends up staying in Indiana unless the offer is is just too good to be true that with Rick Carlisle hired, then Indiana may run this thing back through to some extent. Now, it's not like he's untouchable, like Sabonis is in Indiana, right? Sabonis, you know, like unless you're offering, you know, Giannis or something crazy, Indiana is not moving Sabonis, right? They would move Turner, but you need to blow them away. Well, that's another hard one for me to fathom with the Wolves coming up, concocting, the right offer to, to pry Miles Turner out of Indiana. So then you keep going down the list. Laurie Markkinen of Chicago. Maybe he's more realistic. The Wolves did have some trade interest in him before the deadline. He's a restricted free agent. You've got a guy like Kyle Kuzma who could be on the outs with the Lakers. Like, I wonder if those are more realistic names. The Wolves had interest last November in Larry Nance Jr. Not that the Cavs are looking to move him, but depending on you know some other moves the Cavs may make, maybe Nance. Is attainable. Derek Jones Jr. in Portland. The Wolves made him a free agent offer last winter. So he's still on their radar. Like those to me are probably more realistic names. Marketing, Kuzma, Jones Jr., some of those guys compared to for sure Ben Simmons. But reckless oh.
2: speculation. I, sorry, I can't help Let's myself. Let's keep going. Let's oh. keep
3: going with the Simmons talk because he's going to get moved, right? Like I continue to think it's when not. If Ben Simmons is going somewhere, yeah. And we know the Wolves want Ben Simmons. In fact, they want him badly. So let's continue the dialogue. But Phil and Judd, until I get a sense that the Wolves can make the best offer, and heck, that may entail not only finding a third team, but maybe even a fourth team. That one-on-one Wolves in Philadelphia, there just there isn't a match, you know. So it's on it's on Rosas and 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 Gupta and others in the Wolves front office to to involve a third team, maybe a fourth team, I'm not going to say never say never, but I'm just telling you, my sense is it's going to take a miracle for the Wolves to land Ben Simmons.
2: Can I come off the top roll with a question for you, Dukes?
1: Speculation. Judd dressed up as Jimmy Superfly Snooka on the top of the cage right now. Right
2: now, I I, I might need medical attention because my lifestyle of reckless speculation is catching up to me. All right, here's my question for you, Dukes would it be feasible to work at least a three team trade that would send Dame Lillard to Philadelphia oh yeah would oh, yeah. send Ben Simmons to Minnesota oh my god and oh, maybe yeah. e- even involve a fourth team that would get Whoa. the Blazers something back that they would find acceptable and therefore serve as a facilitator to a trade that would get the Sixers a guy they love get the Wolves a guy that they could certainly defensively use um, and unfortunately for Portland, I mean, it's going to be tough because it's a star player. They probably don't want, want to trade. They're going to be forced yeah. to. But it's anyway, a but anyway, could we go just off the top rope with some ridiculous deal? And I ask this because it strikes me as the type of deal that Gerson would very willingly involve himself.
1: And to Judd's point, like this is what in the next two weeks, this is map. why you hire the trade machine guy from ESPN.com. <laughs> like this is why he's in your organization to get to make this work somehow in the Wolves' favor.
3: Yeah, and it's a good thing Sacramento didn't grab him, that the Kings had interest in hiring him before they hired their current GM, that, that Gupta was was this close to, to ending up in Sacramento. But, yeah, it's a good thing that Suchin is still in the Wolves' front office. Okay, so Maury and Rosas still have a pretty good relationship. Okay, I'm positive that Philadelphia is going to make calls, if they haven't already, on Dame Lillard. Henry Abbott is plugged in from True Hoop, so I trust his sourcing on this, that a trade request formally is coming. Maybe it's happened behind the scenes, but that it'll formally leak out in the near future. So, yeah, I mean, it makes logical sense, Judd, that the Wolves would at least try to go that direction. I still wonder, though, how do they make the best offer? But, yes, if Portland, I'm with you, Phil. If Portland ends up moving Lillard, it's them hitting the reset button. That They just brought in Chauncey Billups, let Chauncey try to develop some young guys, that Portland takes a step back for a couple of years. Maybe, you know, eventually also they end up moving C.J. McCollum and get back, you know, something, you know, that can help them two, three, four years down the road. And that's where, like, a guy like Tyrese Maxey would make a lot of sense. Maybe they also then let Nurkic go. You know, I mean, if Portland really wants to hit the reset button, Nurkic is gone, C.J.'s gone, Lillard is gone, probably trade Robert Covington, too, at some point, who still would make some sense here, by the way. So, like, Portland is is an incredibly fascinating situation to follow the next handful of weeks. I just wonder if, in the end, I mean, Lillard can request the trade. Do they really do it? Does Portland just say, you know what, Dame, you've talked so openly for so long about wanting to be in, in one place your entire career that you really want to bring a championship here to Portland? You know, Maybe it's Clyde Drexler, but, hey, we can make a case you are the best player in franchise history when it's all said and done that you'll be the best player in franchise history, a surefire Hall of Famer. Just stay here in Portland. Yeah, it might be tough immediately for us to get you the help that you're so desperately seeking, but give us a little bit of time that that Chauncey can be a really good coach, that we're not that far away. Let's keep Nurkic healthy. Let's run this thing back through. But the fact that this true hoop report came out this morning – I mean it just it adds to the juiciness of of the NBA. I mean the storylines are endless and just add this one to to the many storylines we'll be tracking the next few weeks.
2: Reckless
1: speculation. Trade talks. Juicy rumors. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh Dukes, before we say goodbye here, any rapid fire scoops left in the bag I that we can yeah, have? Yeah, I mean the My best can't news take of the this.
3: week. Yeah, the best news of the last couple weeks for me at least is Mike Radcliffe Mm-hmm. Longtime time twin scout. Yeah, He's been in the Twins front office since 1987. I mean, pretty much, if you're a Twins fan, any big move going back many, many years, Justin Morneau, Johan Santana, go up and down the list. Any big move the Twins have made? Joe Maurer. Mike yeah. Radcliffe was the one who influenced Terry Ryan more than anyone to draft Joe Maurer to pass on Mark Pryor. Anyway, Mike has defeated pancreatic cancer. You just wow, don't wow. hear many people defeating pancreatic cancer. He's also had some heart issues like he's the bionic man, so I, I just I love the fact that Mike Radcliffe is back working for the Twins. He was here this week for the draft. In fact, he went to New Jersey with Sean Johnson a few weeks ago to watch the guy they took at pick twenty six, the pitcher Chase Petty. So Mike's been out scouting guys. So it's just it's fantastic news. By the way, on Petty and on Miller, the infielder they took from Wisconsin at pick thirty six, those two guys will be in town as soon as next week. To sign their contracts. Every other draft pick is going to go directly to Fort Myers. So the Twins will only bring two draft picks to Target Field, Petty and Miller. There are no signability issues with any of their 21 picks. The expectation is the Twins will sign all 21 draft picks. Awesome. Doogie,
1: uh, happy reckless speculation Thursday on this Friday. We'll talk to you next week, man.
3: Absolutely. Then quickly on Adam Thielen, you know, I, I talked to him. He's still not vaccinated. He didn't want to go on and on about that, but it is going to be interesting as training camp starts here in less than two weeks. The Vikings have a handful of guys that are not vaccinated. Just it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic. If peer pressure comes into play, I don't know if any guys will actually talk on the record about that, but imagine the peer pressure behind the scenes. I can also add that Thielen looked no surprise. He looked in phenomenal shape, he looked fantastic catching a bunch of passes. You know, so I mean, he's, he's ready to rock and roll. Alexander Madison looked good. Chad Beebe looked good. But again, you know, they're not in full pads, but it was fun to be up close watching those guys work out on Thursday. Yeah.
1: Patrick Peterson, by the way, is on the record on his podcast essentially saying, like, it doesn't make sense if you're not vaccinated. Well, he, didn't, he didn't name his teammates, but he he went on his podcast. He's
2: exactly right. The Yankees. I, I, the freaking All Star game is going to turn out to be a, a potential super spreader event because of guys that weren't vaxxed.
3: Well, although the comeback to that, Judd, is the Yankees have a couple players that have been vaccinated, right? That have but, tested positive, right? But and six players total. Most of those guys have been vaccinated. Doesn't sound like Aaron Judge has been vaccinated, right. but but a number of the guys that have tested positive with the Yankees have been vaccinated. But
2: here's the comeback to that: if you are if you are vaccinated, you might still get sick, but you're going to come back. If you're not, and it hits you wrong. You're done for a long period of time. Let's see who wouldn't I want done for a long period of time? Oh, my quarterback. That's the problem. As a well, sports, I'm saying as a sports fan, this is this yeah. is a problem. Not I. The human being part don't care about right now. Care about the sports fan
1: part.
3: <laughs> the sports
1: sports socio I mean, when ranking
3: when ranking importance to the team, uh, three guys in the top what five or six? Thielen, top seven, whatever. We yes. debate that, but yes. Thielen. Harrison Smith, yes, and the quarterback, right? And uh, there might be another guy or two among that top seven or eight. So, yeah, it's it's certainly a concern. I can tell you that much. Thanks, right.
1: Dukes. Darren, right, Dougie Wilson, yeah. 5 Eyewitness News, and the Scoop podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com, and the free-to-download ScoreNorth. As, as someone who is
0: easily peer pressured into situations, just get the vaccine. Like it's, it's not, I get, I get peer pressured all the time. It's not difficult. Yeah, Come but
2: on. you're not a pro athlete and those well. people are so headstrong that they, well. that like peer, I, I don't know. The only one that shocks me is Harrison Smith. Cause I would think that Zim went to him and been like, "Yeah, dude, you're all
1: about the team. So do this cousins. I don't think he's going to change. Do you guys? And we haven't – I don't think it's confirmed that Cousins has not gotten the vaccine, but he strongly, strongly tap-danced around the question and then said, I'm just taking it week by week and month by month. Yeah, correct. I guess he's probably not too. Correct. Wow. That was – That was amazing. That was a a scoop session and a half right there presented by our friends at Federated. So the Federated Challenge is supporting big brothers and big sisters, Mm -hmm. uh, and the Federated Challenge – is raising millions and millions of dollars over the last 15 years for the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program. i for $41 million raised since 2005 uh, for this one-to-one mentoring organization that's over 100 years old. And, uh, and some of the big-time partners include the Timberwolves, uh, who should definitely make the call on Dame Lillard, and the Lynx, SIT Investment Associates, Hillborn Corporation. So if you want to find out more about the wonderful work that Big Brothers Big Sisters does, you can check them out. And uh, see how you can potentially help. But whew, um, I think early next week we might have to start unpacking. Now that Dame's available, I'm just going to spend the whole weekend coming up with potential like three and four team trade scenarios and just present them to you guys on Monday and Tuesday. I
2: think a four team trade makes sense.
1: Maybe a five team trade. Call call our buddy Gerson. But the that's show. the great thing about
2: Gerson is Gerson would do it. Like it, it wouldn't scare him. Not one bit. He would do it. Four or five team trade. Bring
1: it on. Make the call. Make the call, Gers, and literally get the ball. Reckless speculation. Ooh. All right, uh, should we review one of the great sports movies of the late 1990s? <sighs> I'm
0: tuckered, but yes, we should. All right, here's what we're gonna do. By the way, on our production so we don't have an intro for this. I'm just gonna play the films' music, the NFL films' music, as a background as we fire off some clips.
1: Uh, I mean, anytime you want to play the NFL film, exactly. Music, I, right, I don't think you guys would be a problem with it. Here we go. Fumble. Mm-hmm. my gosh touchdown and the americans go up 23 to 21 man oh man did they nail him and it doesn't look like cherubini's getting up (laughs) two quarterbacks in a row i have not seen this since 88 or was it seventy-eight when the Aztecs and the Pharaohs? Any given Sunday, Cab, anything can happen. Wow! As the Sharks go into their bye week, the story here has got to be Willie Demon. He's running, he's throwing, he's rocking
2: and rolling and chucking and jiving. He's flat-out steaming. This magic Sunday, he's steaming Demon.
0: Okay,
1: defense. This is what we got to do here. Uh, I don't know. You got to do something. You got to do something out there. You got to make it happen. I don't know what you're doing. You got to start flying around the f- ball. Do something. Tackle somebody. Don't let these guys chew up the goddamn clock on us. Look, when we put eight in the box, you got to jam those receivers. I don't care. You can make mistakes. Make them big. I don't give a f- I'm not going to eat your lunch for that. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to Sports Movie Rewind, part of the Mackie and Judd movie review franchise here. And uh, you can find a full archive basically every Friday show going back to March of 2020. We review action movies, we review rom-coms, and we review sports movies. And, boys, I think we're in for a treat today. This one violated the Judd Zolgad two-hour limit on movies that we review by about an hour. It was like a two-hour and 45-minute or 47-minute movie or something. You know what? It's the modern-day Gone with the Wind. There should have been an intermission. Intermission. Oh, my God.
2: You know what? I was okay with the violation because this might be – this is top three, if not number one, of films that were just ripe for this format.
1: Any given Sunday, 1999, here's the summary. Four years ago, is it Tony D'Amato? Tony D'Amato, Tony D'Amato, yeah. Yeah, Played by Al Pacino. His (laughs) Miami Sharks – were at the top of the league. Now, his team is struggling with three consecutive losses, sliding attendance, and aging heroes, particularly 39-year-old quarterback Jack Cap Rooney, played by Dennis Quaid. Off the field, D'Amato is struggling with a failed marriage and estranged children, and he's on a collision course with Christina Pagnacci, played by Cameron Diaz, the young president and co-owner of the Sharks organization. There's also a bunch of other stories within this that they couldn't fit in the summary, but we will in this review. 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says, Sometimes entertaining, but overall any given Sunday is a disappointment coming from Oliver Stone. $55 million budget turned into $100 million at the box office. And I will say this was probably the most star-studded cast mm-hmm. I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Here and I might be missing some names here, but Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, Jamie Foxx, LL Cool J, Matthew Modine. Not even the best sports movie Matthew Modine's been in. Vision Quest, I would say. Wasn't he? Uh, wasn't he the wrestler in Vision Quest? I don't remember. I, I don't think I
2: have. I've heard oh of it, but God. I don't think I've ever seen it.
1: Okay, I'm actually gonna. I'm actually gonna Matthew here, Modine. Ad, Vision Quest is is now going to be added to. Uh, I'm doing it right now, literally adding Vision Quest. It's a movie about like high school wrestling. Okay. So as we, as we look for sports movies. Uh, so Matthew Modine, Charlton Heston, and Margaret. Aaron Eckert, Love more Aaron famous Eckert. later on for yep. his Batman movies. Yep. Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber. John C. McGinley. Elizabeth Berkley, just naked this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Jesse from Say the Bell. Jim Brown. Lawrence Taylor. Dick Butkus. Johnny Unitas. Tara Owens. Ricky <laughs> Waters was one of the running backs in this movie. Bill Bellamy. Just ridiculous. Uh, directed by Oliver Stone, who uh, was a military man way back in the day. And then I uh, wound up directing Platoon and Wall Street in the 80s. He wrote Scarface, I believe. He wrote Conan the Barbarian. And we'll get to some of the production notes about his style of directing. Thermag- and just, like, this is going to be my favorite culture. part. Yep. Yeah, but oh, my God. All right, Joe, what was your main takeaway from any given Sunday?
2: First of all, asking me for a main takeaway is damn near impossible because I, I had about 75 of them once my head stopped spinning after watching the direction and how this film was shot. But my main takeaway, if I have to have one, is this. This is the most frenetic film we have reviewed, and that includes any action film. This is the most frenetic camera movement action scenes how it shot where you just wanted to say at some point Oliver stop just show me a normal Seriously, damn dude. shot <laughs> um it was it was excess i mean this was excess to the excess, excess degree It was, but here's also what, what made this hilariously funny to me. So it's Oliver Stone with all of these quick, tight shots, game action, which by the way, went on and on and on. And then they actually got the one guy who was probably the perfect lead character for a frenetic film. And that's Al Pacino to play Al Pacino, which I I mean, what's the difference between this Pacino as, as what? Tony D'Amato, a coach of the Sharks, and and scent of a woman. Al Pacino, and w- what's the one that he did with Keanu Reeves around this time? Was it The Devil's Advocate or The oh, Devil's? I don't know if I've seen, he
1: just shouts. Oh, he, he pretty much just play, he pretty much he just, just plays, plays Pacino. Al Pacino, just Pacino in every movie. He just yes. plays Pacino. He, he, he's now he's Al Pacino a football. Coach. Then, no, he's Al Pacino a drug lord. And Al then Pacino. yes. <laughs> say hello to <laughs> my, hey, my everybody. football. <laughs> And then, hey, defense, what are we doing out there?
2: But like, <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's it, it's like it's just it by this point in time it had become just like, hey, it's Pacino, hey everybody. So anyway, and then and then in the freneticness of this film, towards the end, and we'll talk about this, but towards the end, as you think, okay, slowing down now. We're getting we're 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 getting to the end. We're getting out. It's a successful end and he is retiring. We get the end scene during the credits, which if you tuned out for that, you missed a big part of the story. So just the frenetic nature of this film left me dizzy, somewhat amused, and absolutely thinking that this probably was among the most qualified films for this format that we've ever done.
1: Uh, I, I will say uh, we have a bunch of production notes here. There will be a production note toward the latter part of the episode about the filming itself, okay? Like the frenetic nature of the filming and and some of the things they did to make it look real, so to speak. So I think my biggest takeaway there's so many, and we'll we'll get to a million things here, but I think it was just the two and a half hour tribute to bone crunching old school football. Yep, like this was still the late '90s. This was probably filmed in 1998. And um, and there were some allusions by Cameron Diaz to what she thinks makes for a more entertaining product. And people don't want to see you run the ball. They want to see passes down the field. And it's like the timing of that was right and that the, the 98 Vikings had just blew the roof off offense mm-hmm. in the NFL the year this was filmed. Mm-hmm. And then the year this came out, the greatest show on turf Rams won the Super Bowl. And, then, and now we're into the Peyton Manning and Tom Brady era and boom – you know passing became and they started changing rules like 5 years later but but this movie was all about bone crunching 90s football and lifestyle off the field all these guys are just doing cocaine off strippers chests and uh you've got you got trainers that are actively like either neglecting injuries or giving players extra quarter zone shots and morphine God. And telling the quarterback to get up after he basically broke his back on the field. Like, um, the egregious – like, there was in one of the early scenes with Willie Beeman. He hands off on his first snap. And, like, the running back has run 10 yards down the field. And some defensive player just clocks him from behind. No flag. like. Yep. But that was it. Like, football back in the day, even in the 90s, football was brutal. And football was – the brutality was glorified, right? And I remember late 90s, early 2000s, that's when ESPN started doing that jacked-up segment Yes, that the NFL finally made but, them you know do away with like 10 years ago. But this was like two and a half hours of a jacked-up segment I was gonna say, on, on ESPN's Monday Night Countdown.
2: That first game, when they come in to the film and they're playing a game, that first game was like nothing but assault charges. Yeah. Like every hit, every hit is like you'd be arrested for it yes. was hilarious I was I,
1: I think they may have jumped the shark uh, about 20 times in this movie but uh, in particular when the guy lost an eye in that playoff Oh, I've game, got that there's in just my an notes eye on the yeah field. and they yeah. pick it up what? in a cooler yeah 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 <laughs> and then and then did we really need to see the eye like three times no and and it's like got but what I loved is it popped out
2: perfectly so like all of the nerve attachments are with it and they're putting yeah. it in the cooler, but it's not like part of the eye came out, or you know, he's all bloody. It's like the eye just perfectly popped out with all the attachments. And yeah, doesn't
1: make any anyway. sense. Anyway, yeah, I, I feel like that guy. Went, so that guy lost an eye, like you said, with all the nerves and everything. Like basically, just, a chunk of his brain came out through yeah. his eye socket, and, and he's been helped help, off the field. They helped him off the field like like he had an ankle twist or yes. something, right? right? <laughs> yeah,
2: this was clearly this was, was
1: amazing. Clearly,
2: um, how Oliver Stone perceived football
1: and life actually. and yes and, and in and him, war films you might war. be right
2: in yeah. war films no. he might be right
1: anyway sorry Dex. Yeah. all right Declan, your main take
0: uh on. i mean there's a lot to get to it was two and a half hours um way too long i'm gonna pull the Judd zolgad way too long of a film i mean my god there was so many moments i was like i, I was literally thinking like judd i was like i wish they would have contacted me yeah i would love to cut Could've out cut like 45 minutes of this film it was just yeah. absurd the, I mean, for God's sakes, the first game is like thirty-five minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's just—and they lose like badly. It's—it's it's just hilarious, it's over the top. To but Minnesota, I'm, to Minnesota, the Minnesota oh, Americans, all, yeah, the by Minnesota the way, Americans. the Tough. Minnesota. I remember them. When I, I think, went to a bunch of their games. When I think American pride, I think Minnesota. That's the first team, first state that comes <laughs> to mind with, with American macho. <laughs>
1: yeah, you could. Yeah, you couldn't have picked like one of the thirteen original colonies, uh, states the, or something. Minnesota to be the Minnesota Americans. Americans. Good lord.
0: Uh, my main takeaway, though, is uh, honestly. Get Al Pacino in an NFL booth because I, I think this can work. I oh, think God. just uh, either a co- and I mean okay, a coaching booth I'm with you on this. or a broadcasting no, broadcast. booth. I don't care. <laughs> I want him mic'd up all the bleeping time. He he helped me through this movie because mostly I I was I was dragging on through this film. But then there would be these great scene, the dinner scene, just um, his pump up speeches, which I also have. I loved Al Pacino throughout this film, man. He's one of my favorites. The Godfather's one of my, like, obviously, that's one of the best movies of all time. But, like, I love me some Al Pacino, so I, I thought he was amazing and I want him in a broadcast booth
1: immediately. Dude, I mean, who would you rather have? All due respect to Booger McFarlane and Brian Greasy, but if Al Pacino wants to do a couple games, i for it. I
2: was so tired of Pacino, though, by this point, because it's always the same guy. He, he didn't, he basically decided at some point. I'm just going to start talking really loud and it worked good for him. But I'm I'm telling you you got to watch this film with Keanu and Pacino because it's hilarious because Keanu took on too much of a role and couldn't act. Like he he actually had to talk, which is a bad thing for Keanu, and Pacino just rolled through the whole film yelling at the top of his lungs. It is like it it's a nightmare but it's such a hey, nightmare it's what are we doing? Yeah. And Keanu the problem is Keanu's great John Wick's great because it has certain lines, right? But put Keanu in a film where he actually has to have a ton of dialogue and like act, and he's looking at cue cards. Where Al, Al where are you going?
1: <laughs> what are we Al doing Pacino here? Also, I feel I feel like he's always kind of chewing gum, but I can't tell. Yeah, I, I, that's I know. Well, exactly and Scarf, what you're about. and
2: and the old Pacino stuff was great, but at some point in time, I think he's just like, I'm old now. I can make a million by just screaming. Yeah.
1: All right, what was your favorite part of any given Sunday, Judd? Oh there's a lot of parts here.
2: I I'm very torn here because I will say this. So Dex pulled the Judd and said too long and, and you could have cut game action oh left and god. right. Like it would have been easy. Um but here's the thing for the amount of runtime, I actually didn't feel like I thought, oh my god, settle in, it's gonna take forever. And I think because it was shot so so frenetically. The film actually moved to me way more quickly than I'm used to films going. But anyway, my favorite part has to be when when Christina, the owner, is talking to James Woods, who, by the way, is a oh. badass in and outside of
0: life. Well, well he's... Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I do love me some James. Woods. Okay, but him as the team doctor was yes, perfect. It was,
2: and they're talking about Lawrence Taylor's character, who who, and who plays a key role here too. Mm-hmm. Like like that was not a small part. And she's basically saying you're going to pass him through to play him because I am convinced if those discussions don't take place now, they did for a long time. Like wherever they got that scene from, because it seems like barbaric and and not possible. It's very possible. Yeah. And so I thought the yeah. whole thing of, well, he could die. I don't care. And we'll waive him after the season. That's all way too close to home. So I actually like that because it reflected something where at first you're like, oh, no way. And then I'm
1: like, no, actually, they did do this. I mean, in general, she's – people think Jerry Jones is a meddling owner. I mean, Cameron Diaz in this movie is as meddling as you yeah, can dude. get, right? She's oh, – yeah in the ear of the team doctors and trying to persuade them to green light, red light, certain players. <laughs> she's on the phone with the offensive coordinator who she's set up to be the future coach during the games. I've like got, she's calling him during the game. I've got
2: thoughts on this as, as well, but keep going. Cause I, I think there's a storyline here that, that we should
1: embrace. She also, and feel free. I'll, I'll get, I got one more and then go ahead and give your thoughts on it. But like halftime of a playoff game, can you imagine Ziggy Wolf coming down at halftime of a playoff game? And just like lighting into the coach and the <laughs> like it's just like she walks in there, just all right here's the, here's who the quarterback's going to be in the second half. What are we doing here oh i was uh I was annoyed by it so
2: here's my overall thought about what we as I watch this film i'm like this this is familiar. Where do I know this from? Al Pacino's character right long time football coach. Growing older, long in the tooth, Oh God! once successful, what does he love to do offensively? Run the ball. Run that football, right? Hot young coordinator. Wants to pass the ball more. Wants to do different things. Let's say that coordinator's name was John Filippo. okay? <laughs> the coach has a volatile personality. He doesn't really trust youth. He doesn't really trust young players unless he does, and then he loves them. Um... Beeman? Bridgewater? Yeah, I think it's pretty close.
1: No, it's not. No, it's not. No, no. Because not, no, 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 not even black? close. Like, <laughs> no,
2: no. As far as the development, though, of the relationship between coach and player, because at the end, he loves him.
0: But But Zim. Zim loved Teddy from the moment he I know, got him. But, That's, but I what I'm saying
2: is, but what I'm saying is loosely. Are you saying that? Are you saying loosely, that Teddy Bridgewater
1: goes to cocaine parties on Wednesday night before playoff games? I'm very confused. That oh, what I'm you're ins- insinuating? I
2: will warn you right now: don't ever assume something about athletes. We don't know them. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is the Zimmer parallels to the Pacino coach to me uh-huh. to Tony D'Amato are loosely very similar as far as what he believes and how he goes about his business. Now Pacino is over the top to the nth degree because it's a movie, but think about what their fundamental philosophies are. They're very similar.
1: Yeah, I do I do feel you with the Mike Zimmer and Tony D'Amato comparison of listen, football is going this direction and you still want to do this and they point and you have this view of what football has always been. And as you said, Phil, the they point days. that out
2: They point that out like people are trying to be like, Tony, 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 or Mike, Mike, Mike. Here's where the game is going. And the Beeman thing that I see is not from, as Dex said, because Teddy was loved by Mike from the start. But by the end, their relationship is so tight that they actually go as a package deal to that very tough Albuquerque team. So I'm just saying I can see I, I saw some real parallels here between where the coach's mind was in this film and where the coach's mind is in Egan.
1: I'm, we we will eventually get to the logistics of how he just sort of left his team and then yeah, took oh the yeah, quarterback. We have to get to that, but yeah, uh, Dex, your favorite part about this movie?
0: Uh, I I mean, Jamie Foxx is one of my also one of my favorite actors. Jamie Foxx is damn good. Yep. I mean, singer, he can sing, he can act. Big fan of him. Also, as a uh, big time puker myself, I can empathize with uh, his character here who pukes every time he comes with the huddle. Now, I don't puke out of nervousness. That's a I, I, I don't puke out of nervousness. But as someone who has a weaker stomach, I can empathize with that. Um, it was kind of funny. Phil was talking about how Cameron Diaz was talking about you got to run the ball or you got to pass the ball more. You got to be more of a modern offense. The dinner scene between the two, and I have two of the clips here, but but mostly at the end when Willie Beeman is basically pointing out just the disparity and the like horrible nature in the NFL compared to white and black people and how the athletes are treated. Like that is also something that is still prevalent today.
3: You ain't said two words to me.
0: till Cherubini. Went down. Wrong one. You ain't
2: say two I you said two words to me. till Cherubini went down. Then it was
0: uh, go out there and, and and play like you're in the hood and,
2: and you're throwing the ball and your mama's ringing the dinner bell. All you do is talk at me, man. So I'm going to stay who I am.
3: Steaming Willie bean <laughs> And with the time I got left, I'm going to play my way. Get my dollars up. So when you go to waive me, trade me, injury reserve me, or whatever
2: the f*** I'll do, I'll be worth ten times what I was worth before I got here.
0: It's pretty pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful stuff. I, I love that scene, though. That whole dinner scene in general, too, the back and forth. It's a good, like, 7 minutes. scene. That's the one, actually, I would not have cut out of. Like That's, like, I think the most prominent scene in the entire film.
1: There's also, he, he also, with uh, John C. McGinley... The the media guy who's he's a sports writer. Yeah. He's a he's like, he's uh, like Stephen A. Smith. The, like, yeah, he's he's hot take artist guy. Yeah. And yeah. and Willie Beeman was talking about, you know, this league is seventy percent black players. How many black coaches are there? How many black owners are there? And so they they're shining a light on things that mm-hmm. are still very prevalent twenty years later. So I think my favorite part of this movie is just everything Willie Beeman. Yeah. The outrageousness of it all, the um his his rise to fame happened at such an unrealistic pace because yes they made it very clear we're like basically into december on the schedule here right we're like we're we're late in the season here because they were seven and six after they lost that game and they had three more regular season games left and so over the course of these three games basically at the end of the year and there was a weird bye week in week like the second to last week of the season was a bye week for them yeah which we'll get more to but um, so he's a he's an anonymous third string backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. And in the last three weeks, he rises to fame, records a rap music video, signs multiple endorsement deals and films the ads for those endorsements, presumably during the game weeks. Yep. He was featured on the cover of ESPN, the magazine and multiple other publications as well. How does he have time to do all of this? Like, wouldn't all of this happen in the off season? Uh, also, I think the sports writer that we talk about here, John C. McGinley, might have gone a little overboard in his assessment of a third-string quarterback after two games. If you guys remember, they showed on camera his like two or three graphs of his – I paused it. This is so and true tra- at all. And I transcribed it. <laughs> this is what he wrote. Willie Beeman is a gifted athlete. Who may just redefine the quarterback position. Beeman is a lethal combination of mobility and escapability. A decisive passer who can deliver from the pocket. And a young man with the arrogance to lead and the hipness to give a damn. A warrior poet. A new breed of athlete. And there was like seven or eight misspelled words in those if you pause it. and look. Awesome. It's like some intern wrote that and said, we need, we need like some sports writing copy <sighs> to put on camera here. Uh, but then like the other thing I don't really get about the whole Willie Beeman deal is because he, he was talking to I think he was talking to Al Pacino in that scene. He said "Yeah, it was in the scene Declan reference that he lost out on a $1 million signing bonus and like a $10, $10 million worth of, of multi-year contract yep. falling from round one to round six in the draft because he took a $300 suit from a booster. And, it was, and then he was painted as, like, not following the rules and whatnot. So do you guys really think a quarterback who's that talented, like a first-round great quarterback, no. even 20 years ago, would fall six rounds for some sort of, like, no. taking a $300 suit from a booster? Why did he fall to the sixth round? doesn't yeah. make sense.
2: Well, and they easily could have made up for that by saying he got caught Using drugs. Like, there were a lot of things that they could have explained that fall. Yeah, he
1: got got put in jail
2: or something. A booster would not be it.
1: Yeah. You're exactly right. Uh, All right. I think we're on least favorite thing here. Judd Zolgad.
2: So here's my least favorite part about this. To what Declan said, and he's right. You know, that dinner scene was really good. Like, it was really believable. Um, Telling the doctors to pass guys through was really believable. Uh, The Pacino scene when he talks about I'm going to trade Beeman because he's tearing our team apart was really good because it's like that can happen. So how in the hell did we have so many scenes that made no sense, uh, you know, to Phil's point there? That made you wouldn't fall. Anyone who knows football, if you took them that script, would say no quarterback. Well, hell, no star player would fall five rounds because mm-hmm. of a booster. I mean, who cares yeah. at that point? The college will care, but the the team, the pro team, won't. And
1: yeah, Reggie. People knew Reggie Bush was taking money. Yeah, you know, he still went like second overall.
2: And did you care? So. I sure as hell didn't. So that gets me to my least favorite part was with. Cameron Diaz's character, who, by the way, I sort of liked, like, I liked the fact that she was a complete pain in the ass and would, it's not completely believable, but it's an empowering thing. Instead of taking a guy and doing it, the fact that they took a woman and did that was sort of cool because, you know, I, I mean, it's empowering enough, but then after all of that, okay, so like she goes down, I mean, she's clearly, you know, her dad's dead it, it's an impacted her life. Uh, she's running this team. It's her team, damn it, her way or the highway. And then as the film goes on, she becomes weaker and weaker. And to get to my least favorite part, they're playing in the playoff game in Dallas, which, by the way, looks like it was shot in the old Texas stadium. And this woman who was going to the locker room the last time we checked is now in the owner's box. She has she's basically chastised by the commissioner, which again is fine, that's cool. And by the halftime of the game or later, she is now sort of crying on her mom's shoulder about her yeah. life. Paying no attention to the game. Right. Like they're showing like the dialogue she's doing and the game are going on simultaneously, and this balls to the wall owner that they have built up is now like Crying on Anne Margaret's shoulder about what what she's going to do and her life, and paying no attention to her team. Like, how does that make sense? Like, you you That's went funny. to all yeah, this no, work to try to make this film in some ways, re- in some ways realistic. The game action wasn't, but in some ways, and then you are going to have this powerful female character sort of just crumble and collapse.
1: Mm. Why? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I think they were just going for like they wanted to break down her walls by the end of the movie and show <laughs> but they, couldn't that. couldn't they
2: have done that not during a game, like in her just checking out on the team?
1: <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. Uh,
0: Dex, what was your least favorite part? Uh, Judd and I are nearly in lockstep here. I, I I don't like Cameron Diaz and all throughout this movie. Now, Judd said he does kind of like her because she's a pain in the ass, at least in the beginning Oh, I like the character. But um, in general, I, I could not stand her. Um, I know it probably happens more than I think, so I, I shouldn't be that naive. But just like the conversations with James Woods of like, well, this person, he needs to be injured. Like, put him on the bench more. Make something up. Or this guy, no, 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 like speed up this thing. It was just, I don't believe that happens as much as it does. It might happen with coaches. I don't believe the ownership is going to the trainers of teams saying hold out this person or keep this person more injured. I don't buy that for a second. Even with Jerry Jones being absolutely insane, he might be like one of the outliers here. Ziggy Wilf is not going to Eric Sugarman and saying make sure that, you know, so and so's knee uh, stays buckled for a couple more weeks because we don't want to see him anymore. Now, if it's Dakota Dozier, I could pay. I could maybe see that. However, I I just her entire character throughout the film I couldn't stand. It was my least favorite part was Cameron
1: Diaz. I actually I, I kind of liked her character. I kind I kind of liked. I first of all, she was. We just did a Cameron Diaz movie last week. Like mm-hmm. she's n- nice run for her. She's mm-hmm. meant to be unlikable. Like mm-hmm. I th- I thought she played the character that she was supposed to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my least favorite part. Was the league itself and everything in and around the league, uh, the associated football franchises of America. (laughs) The AFFA is this. This is the NFL. This is the parallel universe NFL. Okay, so you guys already mentioned it. So we have the Minnesota Americans representing our Minnesota (laughs) Vikings. Yes. The Minnesota Americans. Yes. What? I know. Like, wouldn't it be the Washington Americans or the New York Americans or something like the Minnesota Americans? It just doesn't it doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. sense. The uniforms were all just garbage in this movie. Too. Yes, uh, oh Dal- the, the Dallas, defenses. those Dallas ones. The where... what was, that dude. was a
2: soccer uniform?
0: Yeah, dude.
1: Well, also, so the Dallas Knights don't have numbers on the front of their jerseys. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you can't have that. Like the offense is trying to figure out what number each guy is, so that you know who the who to block or if you're the quarterback. <laughs> Like the quarterback w- walks up to the line of scrimmage and surveys, okay, uh, that's the Mike linebacker. Okay, th- those are the cornerbacks based on their number, <laughs> right? So that was weird. Also, we had uh, a mention at the very beginning. I think it was during the first game. One of the announcers said, attendance has fallen while the Crosstown Dolphins have prospered. So the, um, the Associated Football Franchises of America have two teams in Miami, apparently. The Sharks and the Dolphins. That's weird. I took that to uh, I
2: took that to mean that they were referring to the National Football League Dolphins and saying that this league was a rival like the USFL was. That's how I took it. Okay. So like okay. they're like the Dolphins are doing great, and are, not surprisingly.
1: But they've built this league up to be like so. This league is supposed to be as big as the NFL, right? Because it's all over national news, and these guys are like a quarterback rises to prominence, and within one week he's on ESPN and the magazine. Like this is an <laughs> NFL. Hey, he won two games, Phil. Okay. <laughs> and then also. You had uh, the Miami Sharks' schedule, which they showed very briefly on camera as Al Pacino was like updating the record with his pen, changing it to seven and six. The bye week is in the second to last week of the season, which makes no sense. And the Minnesota Americans were on the schedule twice. So Miami and Minnesota are apparently in the same division <laughs> in the Associated Football franchises of America. Yes. Unpack that for me. It doesn't make any sense.
2: (laughs) Well, and what I don't understand, though, is why did they work so hard to make some things realistic, and then they let really what could be considered small things just go? Like, doing Mm -hmm. the schedule right wouldn't have been hard.
1: There was also, I can't remember, they had famous football player cameos for most of the opposing head coaches. Yes. And there was one, I can't remember who he was in real life, but... You know, this is pretty modern football here. This is the late nineties, like guys are wearing headsets in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, coaches have the headsets. And there was a coach, top hat, suit, yes. no headset, yes, walking up and down. It was like like the uh, I who's thought the, the same guy the thing. long uh, Schnellenberger who's the the yep. long time. Well,
2: like Papa George Halas, baby.
1: But yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. so it was hilarious. And Al Pacino rocking the suit on the sidelines, too. Yep. Old school. Mm-hmm. Suit jacket, the red collared shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, I think we're at least believable here.
2: Okay. least believable
1: part of this movie. Well,
2: first of all, we discussed this, but I do have the eye popping out in full. Like, the whole yeah. eye coming out with with oh. the nerves attached. I mean, because, you know, good for it. I mean, football's so rough that eyes always pop out. Hate that. Uh, but... Since we talked about that one, I want to get to this one. Also, the playoff game against the Dallas team. Lawrence Taylor's character, who had basically been warned, you could die. I'll sign the waiver, but you could die. I'll sign so the, waiver. the waiver. He, of course, because you knew this was coming, is injured. Looks like critically at first. He he looks like he might be dead. I, I mean... uh, Tony comes no. out on the field and looks up to the heavens as the clouds are moving as if Lawrence is, jo- is, is ascending through the stadium roof because he's dead, right? Here's the best part. So in the course of this scene, if you go back and watch it, if out. you go back and watch it, a man who is clearly, you think, paralyzed. He's basically
1: dead. They are, you think he's they dead? Are,
2: they are. But before that. They are measuring for the first down. (laughs) They take the the chains and move them around his (laughs) lifeless body to
1: see. Did we we stop him, coach? You bet we did. I mean, like, I I was watching. I'm like, okay, so this dude, I literally wrote the same thing out. This dude is basically dead on the field. And the officials come out. They measure for the first down. No one's, like, attending to him or anything. So there's. Presumably, there's been like at least 60 seconds have passed and they've yes. measured. It's a first down. <laughs> no, he's just laying there dead. Oh, my God. Oh, can you just slide his leg over a little bit? We need to make but, sure that. And,
2: <laughs> and then, and then the last thing, and perhaps God. the best part, is they they roll him so he can see evidence of the fact of where the chain gang is. Of where the marking yep. is. Like, this guy probably has a broken neck, for sure, and he might be paralyzed. And the rule of thumb last time I checked was you don't move those. You you basically stabilize them and get them on a stretcher. They literally roll him onto his side so he can see the chain gang. Coach, uh, did I stop him? Did I
0: stop him, Coach? congrats God, to your million-dollar bonus. I you think you're paralyzed for the rest of your life, <laughs> but here, here's, your, here's the one little bonus more for you. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Uh, Lawrence Taylor, by the way, was like, not just like a cameo. No, you know, there's a no, bunch of cameos. He was like a star of this movie, and he yep. was great. <laughs> I was going to say, he was good. He was good. He was excellent. This was So he also uh, main evented a WrestleMania like three years before this mm-hmm. in the mid-'90s. So he was, he was on a roll. He's still alive in his 60s, still rocking It's a it. miracle. I don't know what, what he's doing day to day. He's laying low. <laughs> so um, my least believable, there's literally like five things here. Maybe we can all just get to multiple. But let's go through... The end of the game sequence here. Okay. Yep. 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 It's in mind. So you've got the Willie Beeman throws the deep pass and it looks like the game winner, and it gets called back because of holding. It happens. I actually kind of like that. I kind of like the mm-hmm. false ending there of mm-hmm. deep pass because that stuff happens in real football games, and so to to bring that back. But the offensive lineman gets so pissed about the call, he shoves the official. Yeah. And gets flagged again. So this is a, a crucial moment. I can see guys, like, being mad. Is a guy I, – I get that I'm complaining about an offensive lineman maybe being portrayed unrealistically as getting too worked up five minutes after a guy lost an eye in the same game. So I understand, like, the, the reality bar here is uh, different. So offensive lineman shoves an official. But then we get – this is where you really need a sports movie consultant of some kind. Like, you just need someone to come in here and say – the clock management from 30 seconds. So they run a play with 30 seconds. It's a completed pass, inbounds, clock keeps moving. Or maybe it was, um, no, it was a completed pass uh, with 30 seconds to go. And they're running up and they show the clock 14, 13, or like yep. 15, 14, 13, somewhere in there. So I think the play ended with like 20 seconds and they see him rushing up to the line of scrimmage and they show the clock. Yep. And Willie Beeman calls a timeout at the line of scrimmage with nine seconds left because he doesn't like what he sees. That's just terrible coaching and clock yeah, management horrible. and awareness. You you wasted probably 10 to 12 seconds there after that, uh, that ball carrier <laughs> was tackled. Did
2: I not tell you? It's the Mike Zimmer story. Yeah, it's true. They let too much he's time not, run off the clock.
1: It's the Zim story. And then, and they, they did acknowledge how crazy this was because there was an argument briefly between the coordinator and Al Pacino. But So they have no timeouts left. They're at the 40-yard line. They need 40 yards to go because they're down by four for a touchdown. So if, basically, if you complete a pass or get sacked or something, the game is over because you can't stop the clock. You have to get out of bounds. And they call an option, an option run. Out to the right, pitches it to LL Cool J, and they wind up getting like 37 yards down to the three-yard line now there's three seconds left, time for one more play. Very very, very ballsy for them on the next play from the three-yard line, mind you, to run a play-action bootleg, I believe. So they're running a play-action where uh, LL Cool J fakes like he has the ball and dives up over the pile like he's at the one, but he's at the three. Like you're not going to dive from the three to the end zone. So an- another thing where it's like you need a sports movie consultant. You're not, run- you're not running like everyone bunched in up the middle from the three-yard line. Uh, but they made it happen, and then maybe the most accurate tie to the Minnesota Vikings, whether it's 2017 or 2019, they get smoked in a playoff game after the euphoric high win by the San Francisco whoever's 32-13. to 13. I don't know if you guys caught that anecdote, but they... Like, they're riding this high, they beat Dallas, and they go on to play San Francisco, and they get drubbed by three touchdowns. That was the most Vikings comparison of anything in this movie yeah. for me. So, yeah, the whole end-of-the-game scenario is yeah. just like, all right, let's 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 get a sports movie consultant in here, help you guys out.
0: Yeah, that's similar to mine. My least believable is just like the end of the last game. Um, also, how Dennis Quaid plays. He takes an absolute licking. He's going to be the starter going in. And then at halftime, they just did his bail on him. They're just like, yeah, we are. We're, we're going to bail on you. We are going to put in Jamie Fox, and we're going to make this uh, literally like a, yeah. like a dramatic. Sport. Like what?
1: I like, think. That, why? Why wouldn't it have been that he just got like? Shouldn't because he got smoked at the goal line. Yeah, when I he think ran that's what, why. shouldn't he just have been injured? And I thought that's what they were around. alluding
2: to, though the the fact that he he was in no shape to continue because he ran that option and got crushed. I thought that's what they were trying to say. I might be wrong though. It, it was not explained well. I mean,
1: so. But he, how'd you guys feel about his wife lacing into him for wanting to Lauren Holly and, him the, and the abusing him?
2: Lauren Holly at the time, very famous as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would uh, appreciate that if no. my wife wasn't supportive. Well, of but I mean, you know what? She was made, in it for football. She, she didn't want him doing broadcasting. She wanted him playing football. She was a football well, wife. Also, like he's like forty years old. Like, dude, like he's been yeah. playing football for like twenty years. By probably. the way, he, congratulations!
2: He congratulations! Because that film identified. Philip bleeping Rivers before the National Football League did. I thought that character
1: was was Phil's guy. He was Rivers. Cap, Cap 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 Rooney was Philip yeah, Rivers. He was Philip Rivers. And what? What do you mean? Did they have ten kids? Did I miss it? No, he was just super old. He
2: couldn't give up. He was pretty much done, but he was still well liked by his teammates. Like the parallels. The parallels were there.
1: Did he have the side slinging sort of weird throwing motion? I can't remember. He, he remember sort of what? looked like he was him. A, he was he a sort of
2: looked like him with the, oh, shucks, I like was, to play football. I think football. he was more, more I know Mark what
1: to, Brunel. He he looks a little like Mark Brunel. He's got the yeah. lefty like Mark Brunel.
2: He had the I know what it takes to be a good teammate quarterback that his teammates loved.
1: Yeah. Philip Rivers. In fact, I I would say, actually, because he's a lefty, I would say he's more Brunel. I would say Willie Beeman um, looked like Willie Beeman was a more accurate thrower than Michael Vick, but they tried to portray him as like this sort of, you know, revolutionary mobile quarterback which Vic that was when Vic came in the league. I don't know. So he's like a he's like Michael Vick with a better arm or something. So and he's more he's or ah, yeah, I'm trying to think of oh yeah, probably Michael Vick with a better arm.
2: The other least believable thing football-wise about Steeman Willie Beeman was this one. <laughs> so they did a good job at first. He changes a play in the huddle early on and it scores. And the Pacino character is like, what the hell was that? We call plays for a reason. Totally get that scene. Um, you know, probably wouldn't happen, but plausible it could. But then as the film goes on, we basically need LL Cool J's running back character to tell the coordinator and coach he's changing plays in the huddle all the time. And at first they're they they're like, well, no, he's getting to the line of scrimmage and calling an audible, right? And they're like, no. And, Cool J's character is mad because he's not scoring touchdowns that he's supposed to be scoring. Cause the play call is designed for him and steam and is changing it. You think the coaching staff wouldn't know exactly where those calls were being changed. Like they're yes, just like, it, Oh my God, that what, what he's changing them in the huddle. Like you can tell the difference between an audible, a check and a guy that just changes the entire play in the huddle.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. It's uh, and then, I love too just the, the cojones on a third string quarterback who's been humbled and fell to the sixth round. He's like first game, he's like, nah, these plays are garbage. I'm calling my own plays. All right. Sounds good. Um uh, on the end of the movie, so Tony D'Amato, he's he's this press conference, he announces that uh he has so the press conference was to sort of honor him, right? He's, yeah. stepping, was, down.
2: Uh, he's, yeah, he's stepping down. He's basically being forced
1: out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah and uh, then at that press conference he announces well actually i have taken the gm and coach job of the expansion team in new mexico and i have signed willie beeman to a multi-year lucrative contract how would any of this be possible on the willie beeman front wouldn't wouldn't yeah. like free you, agency the the opened other, up and no no one knew that he was a free agent
2: the other thing too is this film was really long so if you went to see it you sat there forever and oliver stone trolls your ass at the end by starting to show the credits at which time i'm sure a bunch of people got, got up and they're like thank god i'm done and they're walking out and he throws in this sort of and now he's gonna go coach albuquerque and take the star quarterback
1: with him what are you doing oliver stone it set up a sequel it really did They did set up a sequel with that. Because it would have just been a standalone... I mean, it was a standalone movie, but like... Opening up the door for... Hey, Willie Beeman's going to uh, this New Mexico franchise. There could have been a sequel there. Do you guys want... There's a long list of production notes here. Yeah. Okay. Certainly the highlights. All right. The F word is used in this movie well over a hundred (laughs) times. Yeah. According to, I think, Complex.com. Cap Rooney's house. So the... The veteran uh, Mark Brunel-type Philip Rivers quarterback. Oh, yeah. This was actually Dan Marino's house in real life. They filmed Mm -hmm. at Dan Marino's house. No kidding. Yeah, I saw that too on The Prime. Mm -hmm. Sean Puff Daddy Combs was actually Oliver Stone's original choice for the part of Willie Beeman. Combs arrived at training camp. They had like a legitimate training camp for this movie and even took reps under center, but he was soon dismissed. Quote, Puffy couldn't throw a football property uh, properly, I read and this he, ca- he came on set with a big entourage. Uh-huh. Al Pacino was there, the ultimate pro, and he was offended. So was Oliver. Oliver views the movie set like a battlefield, and he is the general. No one can compete with his authority on that battlefield. So they said goodbye to Puff Daddy. That's probably a good Dad move, Uh, Behind the scenes, the movie was as chaotic as the action on the field. There were delays, script problems, casting issues, endless partying, and even a fist fight between LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx at one point. It was that that shower scene where they got into a fight. So LL Cool J, to just sort of ramp it up, actually punched Jamie Foxx in that scene. And the cameras wound up cutting away. So it's kind of a weird, like, chopped up part. But Oliver Stone was pissed that the cameras didn't just keep rolling. Like, this is a real fight. Let's film so it. So
2: they really got in a fight.
1: Yeah. So in, in every capacity, filming was completely out of hand behind the scenes. That's awesome. On the filming, <laughs> football can't be faked. The players or stunt doubles were actually hitting and tackling and blocking. Uh, blocking. Uh-huh. Stone put cameras where they had never been before. He put a doggy cam on the player's shoulders. Mm. Steady cam operators were sometimes trampled. If someone hit the camera, it just added to the craziness. The football action in any given Sunday is violent and fast and has bloody consequences. For the most part, it's saving Private Ryan on a football.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. But the problem, it, it, it was so over the top at times. Like... I don't know much, thankfully, about war, but I'm willing to bet that war is pretty accurately depicted lots of times as brutal. Like, there would have been a few scenes, but to back to that first game that Dex talked about, like, they're literally killing each other. Yeah. Like, you, would, you wouldn't you would have a team left after that game. No. The Minnesota team would just have to disband.
1: The Minnesota Americans. The Minnesota Americans just, would oh be God, no more. Is.
2: They couldn't fly back. There were, too many players would be dead.
1: Any final thoughts before we get into? The yeah, the broadcast last two team.
2: We haven't talked about about the broadcast team. Barry Switzer no, Barry on play by play, and Oliver Stone was the analyst.
1: So oh, he cast himself got. in the film. I love that. It's Amazing. He,
2: he cast himself. I I my guess is Oliver Stone, big big football fan, and this is how he perceives the sport. Yeah. Just this, break your neck, and I mean, the one thing that I give them credit for though is. The Lawrence Taylor casting, surprisingly good. Like, I would have thought that would have been a disaster.
1: Jim Brown also. Jim Brown was was a Dozen back in the 70s. Jim Brown
2: could act. Like, Lawrence Taylor, Mm -hmm. I would have had no clue going into that film that he could hold that big of a role and actually do it pretty
1: well. Johnny Unitas, who was the coach of one of the teams, he died like three years after this movie came out. He died in 2002. And Dick Buckus was an actor on all kinds of shows throughout the 90s and 2000s. So, uh, all right, the first ranking here is the believability of the sports action on a 1 through 10 scale. So we've done four sports movies to this point. Little Big League, 8.7 believability. Mm -hmm. Major League, 6.2. Mighty Ducks, 2.7. And Draft Day, 2.7. So how would you grade this movie one through ten, Judd, based on the believability of the sports action?
2: Okay, this is the toughest one we've done here because ordinarily it's either just really pretty good or horse bleep. Yes. Um the believability is high a lot of times. Here's my question. So I've I've got a question for the court here. How much do we want to hold it against them, if at all, that the act my actual problem? Is the fact that they went way too far, too many times? Because the believability itself is there. Like, do do we hold yeah. it? Should this ranking hold it against them? That some of those scenes look like massacres. And I mean, I think th- thank I, God I don't, eyeballs don't pop out during the course of a game.
1: Yeah. So I, honestly, me. I think we take the eyeball part out. Like, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll get. Why don't I give you my ranking first? Because I I give it an eight. Like, yeah, an eyeball popped out. And yeah, there were some like clock management things, but for the most part, and that and then the the rain game was a little more rain than you'd ever <laughs> yeah. see. And, well, in a and the game. Hit, and the
2: hits on quarterbacks even in the '90s weren't that aggressive. In the '70s, they might have been. Yeah. Um,
1: but it was it was a re- it was real football with the volume turned and out. they worked hard. It, it almost felt like that. What was that blitz NFL blitz game yeah, for NFL like? Blitz. Yeah, where everyone's all roided out. That's what this movie was. So it's like an 8 for me.
2: I'm going to give it a 7.5.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: giving it a 7. I'm giving it a 7. There's so many over the top. And he also, like, the shots of Beeman in the pocket, like, evading and avoiding... And then even there are some, sh- some throws where it looks like he was throwing a bomb when in reality that ball went 10 yards.
2: And he holds the ball way yes. too long. Like,
0: the, like, <laughs> like they do it in super slow motion. Like he's loading up to throw like a 40-yard yes. dart down the field, and that ball went 15 You're yards. You're right. You're right about that too. So I, I would say it's yeah. a 7.
1: All right. All right. So that means it's a 7.5. this it's the other five movies we reviewed, this, it's the second most believable sports movie. Okay. Um, the next one is just how entertaining was this sports movie? So just pure entertainment value, 1 through 10. Major League is a 9, Little Big League is a 7.3, Mighty Ducks is a 7 and Draft Day is a 6.
2: <sighs> okay, it was too long, but it didn't feel as long as the runtime was. I'm going to again stick with my previous ranking for believability of action, 7.5. Cuz it it moved. It was my 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 biggest complaint was how it was shot. But I mean, that's a me problem cuz I just about threw up 3 times. Um But you know what? If that's my biggest complaint, I'd far rather be offended by how it's shot than it feels like it's four hours, which it didn't to me. So I'm going to give it a 7.5, Phil.
0: Dex? To me, it's a six. Uh, It's it's so long. It is like... And I... There's movies I know where I'm getting, like if I'm watching a Tarantino film, for example, I know I am buckled in for two and a half hours. I like how
2: we have reversed roles here, Declan. Yeah,
0: I I know that what I'm getting into is a two and a half hour flick. Sure. And if there's going to be murder, and if there's going to be over the top, and there's going to be backlog, like I I get how we have to get there. This is just two and a half hours of football life, and it's not that great of a movie in my opinion. So I wasn't that entertained. So for me, it's a six. It's a six out of ten. I don't think I'd watch this again.
1: All right. It's it's definitely like not a movie that I would just like put on for no. two and a half hours. I wish it was shorter, but uh just based on the twenty different recognizable actors and actresses and just the up tempo nature. It's just football cocaine. It's an eight for me. Wow. I found this movie I have I haven't I saw this movie when it came out. I literally haven't seen it in twenty years. And um I thought it I thought it was good enough. It was entertaining enough, so that makes it a seven point two just behind little big league and major league is a nine, and then ahead of mighty ducks a seven. Draft day a six.
2: So Interesting. There it is. It definitely beats right. draft day.
1: Let's let's keep the sports movie rewind train going here. If you guys are down for a little run on sports movies, yep. You guys good with that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so here here's a few that we have on the list. Here we added a couple. Uh, we added one last week and then another one today. Vision Quest mm-hmm. at some point would be. Really fun to do. It's an 80s movie, Matthew Modine. It's about essentially a high school wrestler. Uh, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, who uh, was a once proud all-star major league baseball player who's relegated to going and playing in Japan Mm -hmm. and uh, and, uh, adapting to that culture. Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. And I'm going to put D2, Mighty Ducks 2 on this list because I think there's a lot of fodder there, especially for Judd who's never seen it. If you guys would like to add any other ones or just pick one of those, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, given the time of year, I would like to do Mr. Baseball, which okay. I, I've seen parts of, but not the whole thing. And um, Tom Selleck in that mm-hmm. era was a special actor, a very special actor.
1: Yep. So, All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Mr. Okay? Baseball. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Absolutely. Mr. Mr. Baseball for next year. Mr. Baseball. It's not a top of mind. You don't think of it when you think of great sports movies or sports movies, but uh, definitely worth doing.
2: 149, I believe, boys.
1: Yeah. I
2: just looked it up. Unlike last week when I said,
0: yeah, let's do. Tin Cups 215, so I'm kind of glad we're. Is it really? Yeah, it says 215.
2: No kidding. I saw that in the theater, and and I'm surprised I liked it. More patience when I was younger. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's a wrap on sports movie rewind here today. Give us your suggestions. What other sports movies would you like to see us review sometime in the next few weeks? We'll uh, we'll collect your thoughts. And like some, if it's a really good sports movie, it's hard. You know, Major League is kind of borderline. Like we couldn't it's actually a really good we movie, couldn't do but. Miracle. Like I think Miracle's too good. I think it's too good. Yeah, I agree.
0: Who do you play for, Declan? I play for the United States of America. who yeah. I play for. In in fact,
1: a bruise on on the thigh is a long way way for the heart. heart. In
2: in fact, when I sat down to watch this film on, I believe it was Tuesday, Dawn said to me, that's an Oliver Stone film. That's too good. You, You guys can't do this film. I said, well, we're doing it. And about 15 minutes in, I said, not only is it not too good. It's perfect.
1: perfect. It really is, yep. All right, that's a wrap. Mackie and Judd, we'll see you guys on Monday. And I'm going to spend the whole weekend coming up with Timberwolves' five-team trade ideas. Eight-team trades. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. That's the team, gentlemen.
2: And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals as football guys that's all it is now what are you gonna do
0: whether it's baker's simple truth turkey or mac and cheese with murray's english cheddar